This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Very much, but of course, you know, if you weren't there, I wouldn't be here either. I have to say that I was in Milwaukee a whole day today, and um, I was extremely impressed with uh, the schools there and the kids there, and it's a very beautiful, warm place and really, really good energy, Baruch Hashem. So, the subject is pretty much that we have to walk the walk and not talk the talk, and really, um, there's a very big connection between, we know that the two young children that have the real connection, right, is Pesach and Shavuos, because the Torah tells us, really, that what when is Shavuos, Sheva Shabbos, it's seven weeks after Pesach. So the whole existence of Shavuos is based on when Pesach is, so Pesach and Shavuos are very, very connected to each other. So I want to go back a little bit to, um, actually, the last day of Pesach. And um, the last day of Pesach, or the second to last day of Pesach, which is Kriyas Yatsuk, Shiras Hayam, the first night of the second days of Yantiv, we go to the water, and um, we say, we say, Yashir. So, this is a very fascinating pasuk, um that happened at, at the Yam, and it's a, a lesson that can change everyone in this room's lives, and actually can change Kleisro's life. So the pasuk says the following, so Kleisro, is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Behind them on the midstream, in front of them is the ocean, and they don't know what to do. And they're panicking. And they're telling Moshe, right? And they tell Moshe, aren't there enough graves in the trying? He took his head here in the midbar to die, right? And Moshe said, Moshe says, Alti road, don't worry about it. Just stay, stand still, you'll see the Yeshua Baket, of Hashem, and the most famous Pasuk, Hashem, Yilochem, Lachem, Ba'atim Tacharishin, God will, God will do everything for you, He will fight for you, and you relax, you, you, you stay quiet. Okay. So what's Moshe Rabbeinu doing at this point? The Yam is not splitting, right? Because the Yam is saying, Hey, Magdeh, Avay, Desarab, Hey, Magdeh, Avay, Desarab. So the Yam is not splitting, the Mitzvah are shooting all their, all their weapons at the, at the Jews. So, what is Moshe Rabbeinu doing? How is he going to save Kaisal? So he does what any Jew does when we're in trouble. He dies. So, Hashem al Moshe, Tes Vav, if you want to look it up, in Perek Yud Dalit. And he says, Hashem al Moshe, why are you crying to me? Why are you davening? Daven al B'nai Yisrael, don't talk to me. Talk to the Jews, be so, and tell them, stop davening, and let's move, let's go. They should travel. So it's very hard to understand, it's very hard to understand. Why is Hashem criticizing Moshe Rabbeinu for davening to him? That's what you're supposed to do. And it's, it's in a very hard language. Matitzik like, like, what are you doing? What, what, what are you screaming at me now? Why are you davening to me now? What should, they, what, you, what should I be doing? So, when we have such a question, where do we look? We look at Rashi. So let's see what Rashi says. On Ma says Rashi. it's here to teach us. Moshe at this point was standing and he was dominating. God said to Moshe, Lo now is not the time to be davening. Why not? She is Yisrael, Nesunim Batsara. 
Because the Jews are in big trouble. So now is not the time to daven. So Rashi makes it even harder to understand. What are you talking about? The reason he shouldn't daven is because the Jews are in big trouble? That's the reason he should daven. So Rashi does not answer his question at all. He just makes the question even harder. So we're hoping that maybe the second part of Rashi will help us. Rashi says, I have another shot. Hashem says, why are you crying to me? It's, it's up to me to help you, to save you? It's not up to me. It's up to you. Hashem saying, I can't help you. Why are you screaming to me? Scream at Yisrael. Because I cannot help you. I cannot save you. So what Rashi is saying over here, that at this point, God was saying, don't talk to me. Talk to them, because they can do something that I cannot do. Now that sounds very, that sounds not Jewish at all. We, as human beings, can do something that Hashem can't do. We don't want them to stand for an hour, for two and a half hours. <laughs> so, what's going on over here? What is going on over here? This whole thing makes absolutely no sense. And the answer is, girls, ladies and gentlemen, that there are times that we can do miracles that God cannot do. You're all looking at me. Uh oh. Where's he going? How can he make such a statement? I don't make the statement. Hashem makes the statement. Ma Don't talk to me. I cannot help you. Talk to them. That's what the Pasuk says. Daber, ma Why are you talking to me? Daber when Israel, talk to them. Be so. And if you talk to them, you'll be able to go into the answer. So, there's a very big lesson. I spoke last time, I don't know if you remember, when I was here, I spoke about this little boy that was mumbling, and a story with Rechaim Kayanevsky, that, that this woman who got embarrassed in public, she didn't answer, and because of that, she had the power to give a person a bracha, that the person would not have children, that they should have children. She broke her nature, so she had the power to break nature. So let me tell you what happened here by the, by the Yamsuf. What happened here by the Yamsuf was that God sits in two chairs, he has two cheers, two thrones. One is din and ms, truth and din. The other one is rachamen. Hakadosh Baruch Hu asked the Yamsuf to split so the Jews could go into the Yamsuf. The Yamsuf said, the Jews survivals and the Egyptian survivals. So there is no reason. Min MS, if you want to be honest, God, the Jews don't deserve anything more than the Egyptians. When Hashem is on his, on his throne of Din and MS, he has to be honest and he has to be truthful. And therefore, what the Malachim was saying was true. So Hashem said, at this point, the Malachim are saying that they cannot, the Yamsuf cannot be split because the Jews don't deserve it. The truth was the Jews don't deserve it. So Hashem in Din and MS could not split the Yamsuf. And we were in very big trouble. And all 
the dying in the world could not create a miracle. Because we didn't deserve a miracle. So when Hashem was sitting on Din and MS, Hashem said to my Shabbat, a very big secret. My Tzitzak Eli, you can scream and daven till you're blue in the face. I can't help you. Because when I'm on my, my piece of Din, it has to be MS. And the MS is, you don't deserve it. But you can do something that I cannot do, said Hashem. Tell Cloud Yisrael to go into the Yasuf to get the water should go over their nose and they should be able to breathe in the water. Tell them to be totally Mesiras Nefesh, to put themselves in a position that through nature, naturally, a human being, when he's over, the water's over his nose, he cannot breathe, he will die. Tell them to break their nature and then I can save Christ. So Nachshem Ben Aminadav jumped into the water. The Medrash says the water went above his nose. He could not breathe. Hashem then split the yam. Why? It's beautiful. Because by Nachshem Ben Aminadav jumping into the water and it going over his nose, he had a right to claim and to want something that's above the media of Din and MS. And that's something called Mida Keneged Mida. So when Nachshon said, I am willing for Hashem to give up my life, to break nature, to go into a place where I cannot breathe anymore, he now gave Hashem a reason to say, MS, they don't deserve it. But Mida Keneged Mida, he broke Teva for me, so he has the right to ask me to connect with me that I should break Teva for him. So we as Jews have the power to split the Yamsuf when Hashem did not. So that is what Rashi is telling us. Hashem said, Don't talk to me. I cannot help you. Talk to them, the soul. Tell them to go into the water, to put their lives on the line, and then. I'll be able to split the opposite. Which means that every person in this room sometimes has the power to create miracles that God Himself cannot do because He is sitting on His throne of Emmas. I will tell you a story that happened with me and a girl. So there's a girl that I'm very close to and she's about 34 years old. And she's not married, she wasn't married. And she's one of my real students, I taught her how to teach. She's the most amazing teacher. She's a fourth grade teacher. I don't teach as well as she does. She loves the kids, they love her. She, she just, she's off the charts. And for years and years and years, she's going out, she's going out, she's going out. Nobody gives her a second, third day. And if she finally, the guy finally likes her, there's something very wrong with him, and she doesn't like him. And it's just not going. So one day, there's this big McCool, who I know very well, who came to my house, and he was seeing people. So I called her and I said, you know what? 
Come to my house. Talk to him. Maybe he can help you. One of the things that this Makubal does is he reads palms. Now, palm reading is really a waste of time. Why is palm reading a waste of time? You don't have to be a tzaddik and kaddish to read palms. There are many Spanish ladies who can read your palms. You can, no, seriously, you can buy a book in Barnes and Noble. You can read where all the lines are. It's a chachma. It has nothing to do with kedusha. It's a chachma. You learn what lines and which lines represent certain things, and it's a chachma. The reason it means nothing is, and this I can tell you for myself because I was always into all these different things when I was younger, that I actually watched the lines in my hands change. So you have two hands, and one hand your lines will always stay the same, and that's the hand that the person's born with, that's the map that Hashem puts on your hand. No, not even a line in your body is for no reason. Hashem doesn't have anything to do with just scribble lines on you. So every line in your body means something on your forehead, on your hands. So one of your hands is what's supposed to happen in life. And those lines will never change. It's the plan. It's the root plan. The other hand is your actual life. And the lines change all the time. If you take your hand and you put it and make a copy in a copy machine and you look at it three months later, you will see that certain lines are not in the same place. There's no Shiloh. I can tell you. I have watched my lines and I'm not telling you which hand. I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you how to figure it out, but I'm not going to graduate a bunch of palm readers here tonight. Okay? The bottom line is, the bottom line is that on a person's hand, on a person's hand, in a certain place, is what's called the marriage lines. And those lines show pretty much when a person, right, if a person, and when a person will get married. And then there are lines on the hand that show children. Those are the children's lines. So this girl came and said to the rabbi, I keep going out, I keep going out, just something holding me back. You know, so the rabbi said, Put your hand down. I was sitting there. I am to know. I wasted my time as a young man in Kabbalah to learn all these different things. And I happen to know where the marriage line is and where the children's lines are. So he takes his pencil and he says, he's not going to touch her hand. He takes his pencil and he says, put your hand or whatever. Let me take a look at it. And he looks at her hand and I looked at the same time. And I'm telling everybody in this room, it's the first time I ever saw in a person's hand. There were no marriage lines in her hand. The whole thing was flat. It wasn't a line. Not... No matter how close you look, the marriage lines are very heavy lines. There was no marriage lines. And then he said, turn your hand. And he looked at her children's lines. There was not a child on her hand. And not nothing. So he says to her, Yeah, going to say no. Yeah, yeah. Children, marriage. She says, when, when, when? Soon, soon. Is that going to break her heart? But I saw it and it broke my heart. This is my Talmida and she don't have any lines in her hand and I never saw that before. So she's all excited. She says, oh, he gave me a rough. He let him think to myself, yeah, okay. And she leaves and he starts, looks at me and he starts like crying. He says, oh, yeah. what are we going to do? This girl's never going to be married. I said, you looked very carefully. I looked but I was much concerned. There's no lines. So, what are you, you going to do? There's no lines. All right. But tefillah, davening, can do anything. But sometimes, even davening can't do anything. As we see here, what we said, there's din, I can't help you. Let me tell you what happens. So this girl, stop looking at your hands, you're not going to figure it out. <laughs> you're not going to figure it out. So I, I gave a seminary class once, and I told them that the real lines 
And the real lines are not on your hands or your forehead. The real lines are on the bottom of your feet. <laughs> and the teachers told me, you don't understand. There were girls sitting in class with their shoes off. Right? I was just kidding. There's no lines. Those lines don't mean anything. Don't look at the lines on your feet. But anyway, so... So, I have to be careful because people are going to go home and they're like, Robin Wallace can say it. Something's going to say, can you see anything about my foot? What are you saying? Calluses. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so anyway, so she leaves and I'm, I'm very strong. Okay, that year, her parents go away for, uh, going away for Pesach. It's a true story. It's happened to me. So her parents are going away for Pesach. She's like really from, she's very, very religious. She's, she's like, Hanoi religious. She's like really, really religious. She's a great girl, but she's like really, really religious. And her parents are very, very, very modern. Very modern people. And she is very, very religious. And she's not even living at home. She has her own apartment, whatever it is. They're, they're on good terms. They're just, their parents are, are, are intellectual, secular people. And she's teaching fourth grade Homish. You understand? So they're, so they're going away for Pesach and they're going to a very modern program in Florida. She doesn't want to go. She's like, Rabbi, I'm not going with them. There's mixed swimming, and there's people walking around not dressed correctly, and I, I'm not going. I'm going to go to my my cousin, my this, my that. I said, uh, listen, if they don't mind. Anyway, two days later, she called me back. She said, Rabbi, I got a big problem. Like, what? This is my mother. His mom is crying. She said, I don't come to this program. Everyone's going to see that I'm not there, and they all know the family. And I'm back. she said, I'm an embarrassment to the family. And look what your religion did to you. Now you're not part of our family anymore. Everyone's going to be talking. All my friends from, you know, from the five towns. And they're going to be talking that my daughter didn't show up. And, and she's like, what do I do? What do I do? I said, I don't know. I'll call my Rebbe. Call Rabbi Gamil. So I called Rabbi Gamil. I said, Rebbe, I have this girl. And I tell him the situation. He says, listen, it's a girl. So no, so the, so the part of mixed swimming, tell her not to go mixed swimming. And, and, and the people walking in the lobby tell her to sit in a room and if she wants to prepare her lesson, whatever she wants, she doesn't have to. The food is kosher? I said, absolutely. Cater is not kosher, there's no problem with that. That's not the problem. It's just a very modern prayer. She says, what do you give it up the aim? She don't have a right to embarrass your parents. So she shouldn't mix it, she shouldn't look it, she shouldn't be part of it, but she should go. So I called her back, I said, I called Rabbi Gamaliel. He said, you should go. She wasn't happy. I said, she, you should go, it's Kibbutz of Aim, and really, you're not going to be over any Avera, you should go. So she went. She told me it was eight days in Gehenna. Because <laughs> she's a Kanoi, and everything bothered her. And this bothered her, and that bothered her, and the waitress bothered her, and the way she was just bothered her, and everything bothered her. She said, it was, I said, did your parents, did your parents know you were suffering? She said, I promise you they have no idea. She said, I was the best actress. I put on a show. That I went around with them and I talked to their friends and said, It's not eight days of Gehenna, but it was eight days of Gehenna. I promise you, Gurdjieff, who knows what happened to you and how much you suffered, and he will, he will repay you. Three months after Pesach, she got engaged. <laughs> not just Pesach. Not only did she get engaged when she's married with Hashem, but as I'm standing here telling you this story, She's in her sixth month. But there's no lines. There's no lines on her hand. Did you recheck her hand? No, did not recheck her hand. She doesn't know that there are no lines on her hand to this day. I never told her. I would never tell her that. So then she's going to start thinking, I'm only going to have one kid. I want to make her crazy. So there's no lines. So what's going on over here? It's Pasha. It's Pasha what's going on over here. 
when she came to this world, the teva, in nature, this girl was never supposed to get married. And this girl was never supposed to have children. Maybe that's not what she came to this world for. So Hashem sent her on the plant on her hand, on both hands. There were no lines on either hand, not in the plant and not in the living. But she broke her nature. She did not want to go. It was against what she wanted. She went and broke her nature for her parents. So her malach and her soul had a right to say to Hashem. You're right. The girl that I represent, the neshama that I am of this girl, the teva in nature, she doesn't have one in her hand. She's not supposed to, have to get married and have children. She broke her teva. So I'm asking me to connect it. She broke her teva. Then you, Hashem, have to break the teva that you created her with, and you have to get her a husband and a child. Now you might ask me, so where did he come from? And the answer is, I know this boy that she married. You never met such a tzaddik in my life. So maybe his coming to this world was also not supposed to get married. And he broke his teva a long time ago because he comes from even a more modern family than And today they're married and she's expecting, and it's a nice world that she's expecting outside of the lines because she has health problems and certain other things and it's like a miracle that it's not affecting her health that she's pregnant. The whole thing is a nice mythical and I'm like, this is Rashi. Rashi's saying, there are times Loma tits up your life, stop crying and stop screaming at me, Hashem, and get up and do something. Step into the Yamsel. Do something. Change something. Go against your nature. Then you have a right to ask me to do a miracle. Fascinating. And that's what this Rashi is all about. There's a time to talk, but there's also sometimes a time to walk. And that davening is not enough, but you have to take an action. Loha Medrashikra says the Mishnah, Allah Hamaisa. I always say it's that Mishnah is talking to us guys, our speakers. Loha Medrash, not the Drasha is the Ikr, Allah Hamaisa. Make sure when you speak you have a good story. But that's not what the Mishnah is saying. That's not what the Mishnah is saying. The is really saying, well, I made the the talking, the talking, the talk. Do something. Show up to the Baruch Hu. Go against your nature. Don't ask your mother-in-law back. Don't ask your, don't answer your wife back. Don't ask your parents back. Be, do something that you, your nature is, what do you mean? I'm not going to take this from her. No. I'm going to swallow it. You don't want to give tzedakah. Break your nature. Give tzedakah. You don't have time for anybody because you're so busy. Break your nature and make time for somebody. And that's what a critical book says. When you do that, you have more power than Moshe and Meno Dabin. Lama tits like you're lying now is not the time to Dabin. And we're going to talk about this because this leads us very, very much into Rus. A moment in time where one walked away, one stepped in and one stepped out. And I'm going to tell you tonight the difference of that one moment that happened in Rus. And of course, the whole, the whole Shwurst, the whole Megillah Shwurst is about a woman. And it seems to be so important that on the holiest day of Shavuos, when we recall the Torah, that's what we read, we give us words. So before I get to that, so you're thinking to yourselves, I don't know if I could do what this girl did. I mean, it's very hard to break your nature. So I want to tell you a story that is an unbelievable story. And the moral of the story is that we think that to do miracles, we have to do crazy stuff, you don't. And I'll tell you, this is a true story. You know, 
was Terry Bozeman shirt. <laughs> I hope when she hears it, she won't realize I'm talking about her. She has no idea that she doesn't have one. But I changed some of the facts so that she won't. She probably won't put two or two together. But the story goes like this. It was this boy. His name was Jordan. He lived in Baltimore. And he came from an irreligious home. Not just irreligious, they really didn't know much about anything. And elementary school was okay, but the high school in Baltimore where he lived was a very, very bad neighborhood. So his parents decided that they're going to send him right across the street from where they live with a Catholic school. They said, they're not from anywhere, they're not even from, they have no connection to Judaism. We'll send him to the Catholic school. Fantastic education. Safe, no drugs, no, no murder, no nothing, right? Great place. We'll get a great education. Then we'll send him to college. So this boy, this Jewish boy, Jordan, comes to school. And he's in ninth grade. And he sits down with his whole class, all Christians. And the priest, who's head of the school, walks in to the class to welcome the class. He says, good morning, boys. By the way, anyone Jewish in this class? Jordan's like, looking around, he's like, there's no way I'm saying one word. <laughs> so, he goes, okay, I guess not, and it walks out. At the end of the day, the teacher gets a note, please send Jordan to my office. Now, Jordan had a Jewish last name. So the priest was a little bit suspecting that he might be a Jew. So Jordan sits down in front of the priest, and I guess in a Catholic school, it's just pretty, pretty scary to be called into the head priest's office. And he sits down and he's thinking to himself, oh my gosh, they found out I'm a Jew. They're going to hang me up. They're going to burn me at the stake. I don't know what they're going to do to me. He's like, hearing all these stories, like, Spanish Inquisition, I can't believe it. My parents sent me here. I'm done. I'm finished. And the priest looks at him and says, Jordan, I want the truth. Are you Jewish? He's like, yes. He says, do you know how to read Hebrew? He's like, no, no, I don't know how to read you when he did He says, good. Every Thursday I want you in my office for an hour. I'm going to teach you how to read the Aleph phase. Jordan's like, what? I want to teach you how to read Hebrew. Okay, you don't mess with the priest. So Thursday he comes to, to the room. He takes out the Alabina and he starts to teach him the Aleph phase. And in ninth grade, Jordan learns the Aleph phase. Taught his Rebbe is a priest. And in second grade, and in, in tenth grade, he goes the first day and he says to Jordan, okay, now that we know how to read, we're going to learn Chomish. So you come every Thursday for an hour, we're going to learn Chomish. And he teaches them Chomish. And in eleventh grade, he teaches them Mishnais. And in twelfth grade, he says, I can't teach you Talmud. I don't know Talmud. So, there's a school called United Talmudical Academy of Baltimore, and they have a lot of rabbis there, and they have a lot of young boys there. After class, I want you to go there and tell one of the boys that you want to look you're Jewish and you want to learn Talmud. Priest tells him to do that. He does it. He goes to Baltimore Yeshiva. It's a true story. And he tells them, I'm in a Catholic school, and my priest wants me to learn Gemara. <laughs> and they're like, we're shining my fire? Well, just Gemara. Like, what do you tell you? So, he gets a caboose and he's got to learn Gemara. 
and he graduates this Catholic school. And he just falls in love with Gemara. And he stays in Baltimore Yeshiva. And it becomes about Shuvah. And he's there in the base Medrash. And he goes to Smicha. And he becomes a rough. This is a true story. Now, when he gets to Smicha, he wants to try Karsatov. So he goes to his Rebbe, the priest. <laughs> and he comes to church. He comes to the school. And he knocks on the door. And, and there's Father Giuseppe. That was his name. His name, Father Giuseppe. And he sits down and he says, Father Giuseppe, I'd like to tell you what happened today. And he says, yes. He says, I became a rabbi. And Father Giuseppe says, Mazel tov. <laughs> I've been waiting for this for a long time. So Jordan says, but Father, are you Jewish? He says, no, I'm Catholic. He says, I don't understand. Why did you teach me how to read and told me Chumash and all what do you mean you've been waiting? What's going on here? So Giuseppe says, sit down, I'll tell you. Listen to this. He says, many years ago, I'm on sabbatical every 20 years, they get off a year. I decided on sabbatical to go to Israel. So I went to Israel, and I had the year off, and I went to Israel, and I figured I'd go for a month. And the other priests were telling me, if you want to see the Jews at their best, go Friday night to the Western Wall. They dance, they sing, they sing Kalabach, they tell them that right, and the bishop is on one corner, Kalabach is on the other corner, and it's very, very beautiful. So he said, okay, he's dressed in regular clothing. He goes to, to the Kaisal Friday night, and he watches all the dancing, it's very beautiful, and I was ready to leave, everyone's finished down, and they were all leaving. So he turns around to leave. Remeyer Shistol, Olaf Shalom, is standing there. Now he doesn't know that this guy is not Jewish, he's dressed as a regular guy. And he says, okay, you five, you ten, in the old city, you're going to go to the Schwartzes. You over there, come on. And he's like, well, what is this all about? The piece? What is all? He goes, they're going to eat supper, dinner. He says, okay, we have to investigate what you eat Friday night, right? <laughs> so he's like, he's already so joined in, he didn't know what to say. So he follows them, and they all go to these people's house in the old city. And they sit down, and they have this meal, and this priest is sitting there. Nobody knows he's not Jewish, right? He's dressed in regular clothing, he's sitting there, and he's just watching chicken soup and they can talk to fish and everything. Anyway, finally they finish. It's very beautiful. And he goes over to the lady who's running the house and he says to her, that potato thing, that little square thing that you gave me on my plate, what is that called? And she goes, potato kugel. He goes, potato kugel? She goes, not Google. That's not potato. Potato kugel. He says, well, I have to tell you, lady, I have never eaten anything that delicious. So like a good Jewish woman, what does she say? You think that's something? Tomorrow for lunch, we have kugel, kishka, and chulent. And my chulent is the best chulent in the whole old city. So it would be an honor for us if you would come back. He says, you're going to have this potato stuff tomorrow? Plenty of it. And it's overnight kugel. Okay? That's not kugel. Okay? He comes the next day. He comes the next day. He comes the next day. And he had this kishka and his kum and everything. He's having a great time. And the man of the house, the after benching, he says, before anybody goes, there's a deal. If you come to lunch, after lunch, we go to, Ors- we go to Eishat Torah, and there's a rabbi, Noah Weinberg, and he gives a half an hour class to everyone that was by my meal. Okay, this is the guy you need to eat, you gotta go. So they all go, and this priest is like, okay, 
And then for the photo, I'll check this out. And he goes to this shit. And I'm not to this shit. And this, he's an educated man, this, this priest, and he's listening to Ramnaut, and he's just blown away by this rabbi. And he's like, if this is what they study in this school, I want to study this too. So without telling anyone that he's a priest, he joins Isha Torah for a year. <laughs> and he learns. I read Hebrew, Chomish, Mishnah, and he's up to Gemara, and his year sabbatical is over. So he tells his Kavusa that I'm going back to America because I have to go back to America. And the Chavrus is like, you don't understand, you, you have come so far in one year, you have to stay. He's like, no, I can't. Now, everyone in Asia totally knows that when he got, everyone like, wanted to leave after a year, he sent them to Rav Noah, and he talks to them for 10 minutes, and they're there for life. <laughs> so the Chavrus says, well, you can't leave without saying goodbye to the rabbi, figuring Rav Noah will get him to stay. And he takes this guy up to the rabbi, to Rav Noah. Rav Noah knows who he is, he says, What's going on? Where are you going? He says, I have to leave. I have to go home. He says, now you're going to go home? You, you, you came here a year ago. You're already learning Mishnayas with, with Bartanura and Praise Vizyantif. You're on such a high level. Another year, you know what you're going to be in Gemara? You have to stay. He says, Holy Rabbi, I have to tell you something. <laughs> My sabbatical is over. Aramnoah says, sabbatical? Sabbatical from what? He goes, sabbatical from the church. <laughs> Lohan says, what do you mean sabbatical from the church? He says, Rabbi, I'm a priest. Lohan says, you're a priest? And you sat in my school and lived the life for a year? You ate my food? You went with my boys? You went to my classes? Such dishonesty from a priest? I will never forgive you. And the priest looks at the at Rabbi Noah and he says, I'm so sorry, Rabbi, but the kugel, and then, and then I came to your class, I, I couldn't step out. He says, there's no excuse for dishonesty, especially from a priest. You will never be forgiven for what you've done. Now, you know, there's no way a priest is going home, never forgiven. <laughs> he said, Rabbi, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please forgive me. He said, there's only one way you'll ever get forgiveness. You lived a lie and you came to my school and you learned how to read and you learned Chomish and you learned Mishnah. The only time you'll ever be forgiven is ever a Jewish boy comes to your school and you use what you learned in my school and you teach it to him I'll forgive you. So Giuseppe, Father Giuseppe, told Jordan, for 10 years, every ninth grade, I was looking for a Jewish boy that I could teach. I was looking for forgiveness. And now that you're a rabbi, I am finally forgiven. What's the, what's the message in this story? The message in this story is, ladies, men, you don't have to be a Kirub specialist with classes how to talk to people. What brought Jordan from a Christian school 
To become a rob, and if I told you who he was today, every woman and every man in this room would fall off your chair. One of the biggest, and I mean the biggest, in Kirov today is Jordan. And I used to say his name, and he asked me not to anymore because he has children in Shidduchim and he doesn't want the whole. No, he doesn't want that. He went to a Catholic school. It's not going to do him any good. So I don't say his name, but some people in this room probably know who he is. He's one of the biggest people in the Kirov world today. And when he got married, the guys in Baltimore knew that he wasn't a religious kid, and they asked him, who made you from? <laughs> and at his wedding, he pointed to the priest, because the priest was invited to the wedding, and the cross was told, and he said, this might sound very weird, but that's my Rebbe. <laughs> What's the godless of the story, ladies and gentlemen? What brought Jordan from the lowest tumor in the world, a Catholic school, to become one of the greatest speakers and one of the... That's not me, by the way. <laughs> no, my name's not Jordan. Right? I didn't grow up in Baltimore. I don't know any college or something. From the lowest place, and be Makara Jews, ladies, a piece of potato cocoa. A silly little piece of potato kernel. She didn't know Kirov. She didn't make a whole big speech. She every single Shabbos makes food for people she doesn't know. They're not her family. They're strangers. They come from the Western Wall. They sit in her house. They eat her food. They're part of her family. Every single Friday night... She's not talking, she's walking, she's doing something. When you're doing something, Hashem can take a piece of potato crumble and take a Jewish kid from a Christian school and turn him into one of the biggest people in Kirov. It's action, not words, that make things happen. This is a 100% true story. If you don't believe me, you can go to Israel and ask Jeff Seidel. If Jeff Seidel is now at the Kosel, Jeff, do you know the story of Rav Noah Weinberg and that priest? And he will tell you, absolutely, it's 100% true. I know the story. The kayak of just doing something, our job is to do. Hashem can take something and turn it into the biggest miracle but if you don't do something you just talk, talk, talk I'm gonna, I'm gonna and nitzak, and nitzak, and nitzak, and nitzak because you're both dilemma titzak what are you talking so much? do something turn to Christ on and tell him go get out of your chair and do something even if it's making a piece of potato Godless okay now that takes me to this so in Megillah's Rus, same story. Listen to this. This you can talk about Ashwars. So in Megillah's Rus, first of all, is a huge, um, I spoke about in schools today, a huge spiritual DNA. I'm, I'm not going to go there with Sari Menu, and that's why Lot was saved, and he would have Rus. It all came from Sneus, and that's why Rus, for a reason we don't understand, she was very still. She used to curtsy when she picked up the wheat. When she came from Moab, she came from the worst place in the world. Where did she learn Sneus? She didn't have a Sneus class. 
you know nothing about Sinesh, you get to the most immoral place in the world. And the answer is that there's something called spiritual DNA, which I talk about all the time. It's extremely, extremely powerful. And over here, the DNA came from Sari Menu, because actually, when the Malachim came, three Malachim came, they weren't supposed to say Lod, because Lod, don't mean that he was saved, because he had Rus. But Rus was a Moavia. And when we weren't allowed Moavia or Moavi into Christ, because they didn't give us food. But when, when the Malachim asked Abraham Avinu, Ayei Sarej Shtefan, where is your wife? And he said, he named Oel, she's in the Oel, she doesn't belong serving people. So now, that the Moavia women didn't come out and serve the Jews, that was a psaac that Abraham Avinu gave. So at that point, once he said, he named Oel, that a Jewish woman is not supposed to serve men, Hashem said, oh, now we can allow Moavia women to come in, because Abraham Paskin in this world. So the whole reason that Lot was saved was because Rus would be able to become a Jew and marry Boaz and have a grandchild, great grandchild that would have Melech. But had he not passed in that, so the whole Rus, the whole existence of Rus, was only because Sarah was a Tznuah. So without Rus even knowing she came from Moab, they were the most immoral girls in the world. 24,000 Jews died in Amos Moab. They were the lowest lowlife that existed. They went out to do Znus. Where did a girl who's the daughter of the king of the lowest nation in the world get to when she comes to a field, everyone else is bending over, the Jewish girls are bending over, and she's curtsying getting the weeds. Where'd that come from? What class did she go to? What's this class to give a mower? She went to see Sharon? And the answer is, it was in her DNA, because the whole bush existed because Sarimenu was a snore. So she automatically, without being taught, Became a and we see this over and over. That what you do, ladies and men, you think it only affects you. It affects your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. Abraham Avinu was a Balakasid, and that's why it says that the Bnei Yisrael Amali Rachamim. What do I have to do with Abraham Avinu thousands of years ago? He put into our DNA that we are Mal Rachamim. What we do in this world spiritually puts the DNA into our children. So Rus, who didn't even learn one word, right? She was a guy. She was more tzniyus than the Jewish girls that were in the field. Because that's where she came from. She was existing only because of Sari Meir, who was at Snor. So, Rus is a very good example for us on Shores. So what happens with Rus and Arpa? And I think this is so important. I tell this to kids all the time. So, Rus and Arpa, they lose their husbands. They're going back there to throw with Naomi. And Naomi says to the two of them, listen, your princesses. Don't, don't, don't. I'm going back to Israel. No husband, no kids, no money. We live in one little teeny apartment and we have to go collect tzedakah and everybody's murmuring about us that we left them when they needed us. We had money. We ran to Moab. Girls, I'm not going back to a fancy house with a fancy car. I'm going back to a miserable life. You are princesses of Moab. Go home. And Arba and Rush said, no, we're not going. So then, a little bit later, a couple of minutes later, a couple of days, a couple of hours later, she tells Rus and Arpa again, listen, I'm not having any more children, I can't help you, go home! And Arpa, by Yishaklo, she hugs, she hugs Naomi, she kisses Naomi, she leaves. Rus says, no, I'm not going. And what does she say? She makes a comment, right? And she says the following, don't push me to leave you, right? I shall tell when you go, Eilat, I will go. Will you sleep? I will sleep. And I heard the big words. Ami, your nation is my nation, and your God 
is my God. So she makes this big statement. I'm not going anywhere. Your God is my God. Your nation is my nation. And Naomi realized this girl is not leaving. And she goes back to Eretz Yisrael. Says the Medrash. And I excuse myself for speaking in front of what is the Medrash? In front of an Arna Kaidish. Says the Medrash what happened that night. Rus went with Naomi. Rus stepped in. Arpa stepped out. Arpa said, I'm going home. The Medrash says that Arpa was with a hundred men that night and a dog. That's how far she fell. From, I don't want to leave you, to, okay, I guess I will leave you. A hundred men and a dog, and she became pregnant that night. And who was she pregnant with? Gullius, the giant, the plishti enemy of the Jews. That's who she became pregnant with. Rus, on the other hand, went the other way and became the great-grandmother of Dovna Melech, the Eim HaMalchus, the great-grandmother of Moshiach and Dovna. What's the lesson? It's a crazy lesson. I tell this to my students all the time. Two people in the same position. Now, Abi's in the middle. Arpa's holding her from one side, hugging her. Rus is holding her from the other side, hugging her. We don't want to go. We want to stay with you. We don't want to go. And she's like, no, go, go, go. No, we don't want to go. Arpa's like, okay, I'll go. Arpa ends up with a dog and a hundred men. Rus ends up with Dabra Malach and Mashiach. One moment, one steps out, one steps in. You think, okay, what's going to happen already? Who's Arpa going to be? What's Rus going to be? And the Megillah Swiss is talking to all of us on Shuas and telling us, you think just stepping out and drop, you're not going to go off the derech? And you think just stepping in a little bit, nothing's going to come of you? No! Look at Arba and Rus, two sisters. Look at the difference. Look what happened to one, look what happened to the other. And you all know the story of Rus. I don't have to tell you the story of Rus, but I want to tell you something very, very, very fascinating. So, Rus comes David HaMelech. Now David HaMelech, if you Shmuel Aleph, if you learn about David HaMelech, of course we know David HaMelech was born on Shavuos, David HaMelech died on Shavuos, right? So listen to what happened to David HaMelech. So David HaMelech, you have to understand who David HaMelech was, okay? So it's just very interesting, the power of a bracha. If you look at the end of Megillah's Rus, when she got married to Boaz, so Klaifel gave her a bracha. Your house should be like the house not Sarah, not Rivka, Rachel Balea. Your house should be like the house of Rachel Balea. That's the Rachel that they gave to us. Now what happened in all the years is there was a big machloikis in Klein's world if a Moaviyah is allowed to marry. And half of the Bezdin said no, and Boaz passed him yes, and the next morning after Boaz passed him yes and he married Rus, he died. The next morning after the wedding, he died. So Klaishro said, Ah, you see? He was wrong. Hashem killed him right away. Could you imagine? Tony Almoni, I love that name. Right? Tony Almoni, who didn't, who said no to marry her, he was walking around saying, hey, Man, it's good I didn't marry her, I'd be dead. Right? And everybody came to Leviathan, one of my biggest lessons that human beings, that us people, we don't know anything that's going on. Everybody came to Leviathan, they're like, You see? He passed it wrong. He married that Moabia? And Hashem gave him Misa that he, he, the next morning he was dead. So they all went to the Levi and said, Boaz, you made a big mistake. 
And the Medrash says in Shemayim, Hashem was laughing. Hashem said, the only reason I kept Boaz alive till he was 90 was for that night that the seed of Mashiach should be born. And the seed of Malchus Yisrael should be born. So you're all walking around saying, Oh, look at that, look what he did wrong, look at his punishment, and it's just the opposite. I kept him alive, so from him should come Mashiach. Tony, I'm always walking around. Wow, I'm glad it's not me. You fool! Fool to be you! judge people. You don't know nothing. You don't know anything that's going on. Hashem has his plans. We see things and we make judgments on people who are so wrong. This is the perfect example. The perfect example. So now, Dovod HaMelech comes from this. Now let me tell you Dovod HaMelech's story. Sure, it's Dovod HaMelech. So, they were continuously fighting if you're allowed to marry a Moravir or not. Nisha, Dovod HaMelech's father, with such a tzaddik the Gemara says that he never did an Avera in his life. That's how big a tzaddik he was. So the Benedict said to him, you know, it could be that all your children that you have from your wife, being that you're illegal and the whole thing's illegal, could be that none of them are kosher. But if you marry a shifcha, if you marry a maidservant, and she becomes a Jew, then even if you come from Moab in this indirect way, you can kasher the child that comes from that child will be legal in Israel. So we think that's what you should do. And Yishai went to his wife and said, you know what, Bezin's thinking that I don't have legitimate children, so I'm going to separate from you, and I'm going to marry our maidservant. So she separated from him, and the night that he was supposed to marry the maidservant, his wife was like, Yishai, the biggest tzaddik in the world is going to marry and be with a maid? So she went to the maid and she paid her a lot of money and she said, we're going to make an exchange. You're not going to be with my husband. I'm going to be with my husband. But he won't know, right? And I don't want you to be with my husband and I'll pay you for it. So that night, she was with her husband and the brothel of Kleistro came true because it was exactly exactly what happened in Rachel Bulea that there was a switch. The same exact switch happened here, and the Medrash says that's the power of a bracha. And what happened from this bracha? She became pregnant. And in the third month, she was showing. And Yishai said, How could you be pregnant? We're separated. So if she's pregnant, that means she committed adultery. So the child is a monster. So all the brothers and Yishai knew that the child that this woman, Yishai's wife, was going to give birth to has to be a mamzer. He was separated. He didn't know that she made a switch. And Akash Baruch Hu, who's God, the child is born, and guess what? Flaming red hair. All the other children are dark, dark, dark. And this young boy is born with crystal, it talks about his eyes, crystal blue eyes, light white skin, and flaming red hair. The proof that he's a mountain had to be coming from a different father. So he was the shame of the family. 
So they took him and they said, Hashem, and they stuck him in the desert outside of Beislechem. And that's where David Amalek grew up. And every time in Beislechem there was a robbery, says the Medrash, they blamed it on the mountain, David, from the desert. And it says that David Hamelech, instead of arguing, whatever they said he stole, he would pay, even though he didn't steal it. This is how David Hamelech grew up. You want to talk about trauma and dysfunction? <laughs> okay? This is trauma and dysfunction, being called a mamzer by your own brothers. And that's why when Shmuel came looking for the malchus, and Yishai put out all his kids, he didn't put out David. And Yishai looked at all these beautiful boys and said, the savior of Kilal Yisrael is not here. Do you have another son? And Yishai's like, another son? Do you have another son? He will sort of, he's in the desert. And Shmuel said, let me see him. Let me see if Hashem put his ruach on him. And they brought this kid who they called the Mamzer, and he looked at David Amalek and he said, this is the one. And he's not a Mamzer. And now who is David Amalek? David Amalek went through exactly what Rus went through. Rus was judged as a Moavia. Rus was pushed out of Klai Yisrael. They didn't even wander in the field. And now her great-grandson was going through the exact same situation. At the same time, this is unbelievable. Only the Torah. It's only the Torah. It's only in our... It's unbelievable. Listen to how Hashem sets this up. At the same time, his cousin, Goliath, who came from Arba, is the head man in the Pushti army. And the mayor says that she was given a promise that no man in the world could kill this Goliath. He was a war machine. Because for a couple of minutes, Arba didn't let go of the army. So as a reward, there was nobody in the world that could destroy this giant except one person. The child of the one that held on longer than Arpa. And that was David HaMelech, but Goliath only knew that nobody could kill him. David HaMelech had no idea about this. Now listen to what happens, and we'll end with this. This is Shavuos. This is Rus. So, Shaul was an amazing warrior. David's brothers were amazing warriors. But what happens? This Plishti, this Goliath, gets up and says, this is the deal, instead of the Plishti and the Jews fighting, it's one-on-one. Me and your best Jewish fighter, if he kills me, all the Plishti give up. If I kill him, all the Jews give up. And he got up and said, by Kriyashma in the morning, the sun was rising, and this Goliath got up and he started cursing Hashem and cursing the Jews, and all the Jews stood there, they were so scared of him, that they didn't say anything back. Right? And every Jew, when they saw this man, they ran away from him. And they were scared. And they said, there's nobody in Klai Yisrael that could destroy him. Okay? Who shows up? This little 17-year-old, redhead kid, and he says, what's going on over here? And they're like, this big monster is talking bad about God and the Jewish people. And he's like, why isn't anyone doing anything? And they're like, we're scared. So, they bring him to, he says, I'll do it. And they bring him to Shaul. Vayomer Shaul el David. And Shaul says to David, 
What is your halacha? Someone put here as a little chavimol. You can't fight this pushti. Kinaat, you're a little kid. Who is mukhalim in the world? This guy's a soldier since he's a kid. You're a little kid with sticks and stones. You can't go. Layoma David al Shal. I love this. David says to Shal, he's a little seventeen-year-old redhead. Layoma David al Shal. Really. I was a shepherd. I worked for my father. And a lion and a bear came. And he took a land. He took one of my lambs. I went there and I whacked him. He bowed to me and I took the lamb out of his mouth. So now the bear and the lion attacked me. Exactly the signal. I grabbed the mane of the lion. Can you imagine this? The mane of the lion, right? He kissed the and I hit him and I killed him. Gamasari Gamadaev, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. How death and this Twishti, this Aurel, Kaakamehem, he's like the lion and the bear. Kikhaira Maraja Salokim Khayan, he made fun of our God who lives forever? So David said the famous words of Yom Adon Hashem Hashem Tzilayim Yadavi Yom Yadavi God who saved me from the lion and the bear who yachin any miyad on Pushti he'll save me from this Pushti Shol never ever heard someone talk like this when Yom Hashem Adon let go get him why? for Shol understood Hashem Yiyeh Shol understood that this boy has God with him a boy that will not stand by when Hashem's name is being disgraced. A boy that says, I didn't kill the bear and the, and, the, and, and the lion. With Hashem's help, I killed them. So what's the difference between a lion and a, and, and, and a Goliath? There's no difference. Okay? So, David puts on all of Shaul's weapons. They fit, which made Shaul very nervous. Shaul was giant. David was teeny. He puts his armor on David and the armor shrinks. And it's fixed David at Melech and he realizes that he's going to lose his mouthless to this boy because that was the, the armor of the king which made him very nervous later on that's why he went after David and David says no, nah, I'm not comfortable in all this stuff I don't need it he takes a stick in his hand and he takes five stones and he approaches the plishti now you have to see this scene the whole Israel everyone's scared this little guy with a stick and a slingshot. And the warrior of the world that cannot be destroyed. And I don't have the parish here, but t- t- hundreds of pounds of armor. It's like not normal what he carried. He was 12 feet tall. He was six hours tall. 12 feet tall against David Amalek, who was very, very short. And here's this plishti, and he's like expecting some shawl to come out, and this little kid comes out with a stick. So by Yahweh HaPlishti, the Pushti stares at him. He's trying to stare him down. But here is David, and he sees this little boy, David, by Yizayu, and he starts to embarrass him. He was a little boy, but Moni was a redhead. In Yifam Merah, he was very pretty. So he was a little pretty good-looking boy. So this big giant's like, what are you sending me? Pretty boy to get me? Yifam That's what you're sending out to fight against me? But you're not Pushti on David. The Pushti says to David, You think my mother got pregnant? From the dog? That's where you think I came from? That you're coming at me with a stick? That's what you think from the dog? That's what I am? 
I'm not from the dog. I'm a giant. And the Pishti cursed David HaMalach. He says to David, Come here, boy. The Etnos Vesarecha will take your meat and I will give it to the birds, and to the behemoth of the Sunday. And when David HaMalach heard that, he was like, It's over. This guy is dead. Why? Because the plishti, what comes out of a person's mouth, what comes out of a person's mouth is an avua. What did the plishti say? The plishti said to him, I will kill you and I will give your meat to the birds and to the behemoths. Behemoths are domesticated animals, cows, goats, sheep. They're not meat eaters. So when he heard that this guy was saying, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to give your meat to the behemoths, he said, that means I'm not going to die because he can't give my meat to the behemoths. So what he's saying is not true. If he's saying it's not, if he, what he's saying is not true, that means I'm going to win. So now David Amalek had even more strength. And he said to him, really? He said, I, on the other hand, he said, you are going to come into my hands. I am going to kill you. I am going to remove your head. And I am going to remove all the heads of all the Christians. He said, and I'm going to give it loy hashamayim to the birds who the chayyos and to the wild animals that do eat meat. The yedu kolaeres. He said, listen carefully. The Lord Mel said, this is not about me. That I'm a warrior and that I'm famous. Why am I doing this? The yedu kolaeres. The world will all know ki yesh elokim liyisrael. They will all know that there is a God. What did Rus say to Naomi? <laughs> My Elohim is your Elohim. Three generations later, her great, no, beautiful, her great grandson said the same words. She gave him the DNA to understand that my God, your God is my God, nobody can stand against us. So Dominic Malik repeated the words that his great-grandmother said. And he was not scared. And he went, and we know, he hit the plishti with the stone, went through his head, made him unconscious, he fell to the ground. Dominic Malik, this is very interesting, especially for the women in here. Dominic Malik knew he had to chop his head off to make sure that he was dead totally, not just knocked out. So he came to him, and his sword, because they hadn't started the fight, Goliath's sword was locked. It's the Medrash of Rus. His sword was locked. So Dovod Melech didn't have a sword. He only had a stick. And his sword was locked. So he turned to the weapon carrier. In those days, all those soldiers had a weapon carrier. He turned to the weapon carrier and said, could you give me the keys to your master's sword? And the weapon carrier said, what are you going to give me? And Dovod Melech said, if you give me the keys and you become Jewish, any single girl that you want to marry, I will make sure you get to marry her. That's the deal. And he gave Dovah the keys, and Dovah opened up the lock, and he took the sword, and he chopped Goliath's head off. Do you know who the weapon carriers were? Yes. It was Uriah. It was Uriah. 
Uriah was the weapon carrier. Listen carefully. Uriah married Bathsheba. And then David HaMelech, who got into a lot of trouble, sent Uriah to the front to get killed so that he could marry Bathsheba. A very dark time in David HaMelech's life. And I want to hear something amazing. You know what the Medrash says? The Medrash says that Bathsheba was David HaMelech's zibble. And Hashem said, Who are you? Where do you have the chutzpah to take, to make a statement that my daughters, that you can make a deal that my daughter, if you do this, you can have any one of my daughters. So you know which daughter he's going to get? Your zivig, Batsheba. David lost Batsheba as his zivig Rishon because he made women, Jewish girls, cheap and said, I'll make a deal, and to make the deal, I'll use the first Jewish girl that you want to be able to marry. This is what the Medrash says. Jewish women are not cheap. You don't give away Hashem's daughters. So in the end, he ended up, you want to give away a daughter of Hashem? It's going to be your zivig, and he talked about lost that zivig, and he went through it, everything that he went through. You don't mess with Hashem's daughters. You don't make them cheap. You don't just give them away. Lay with the Medrash. Lay with the Medrash. I want to end with this Medrash. So I'm writing a book. I hope, I hope Hashem should help. We'll get some sponsors. Hakaras <laughs> Atov. We finished. 180 days. 180 days. 180 days. Sure. It's done now. It's just to be published and done. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. There's work to do. Hakaras Atov is the biggest thing in the world. If you have Hakaras Atov, you have a good marriage. And you have a relationship with your kids. You have a relationship with Hashem. The basis of any relationship is to appreciate. And I can tell you... By writing this book together with, with Rabbi Finkelman, I never even knew that Akkaras Atov was on this level. It's not normal. Well, I want to tell you a measure that you're going to find in this book. And the measure says the following. Goliath had a, Goliath had a helmet that went to his, to here. And according to Shmuel Al, the, the thickness of this helmet was crazy thick. There's no way that any stone in the world could penetrate it. No way. So Dr. Melchudis, how is he going to get a stone through that helmet? So if you look in, I don't know, what, what was the Pasha Pasha Shmos where, where Moshe Rabbeinu didn't give, um, didn't give them a brisk and Zipporah ran out and she gave him a brisk, right? Um, so she took a stone and she gave him a brisk. They, they sharpened the stone to a point Right? Where did I, I go with all the answers? What was it called in Hebrew? Tzur? Tzur? Something like that. Uh, anyway, she took this stone. She took this stone and she gave him. It's, it's here, I just turned out the time to look for Anyway. After he had the chocolate, he has there. Okay. To make a long story short, she gave him a brisk with, with the stone. Now, this up oh, yeah, it's called the Tzor. Thank you, Reverend Walsh. But Tikat Tzipora, Tzor, but Tikwe says, Olaf Menah. She took this stone and she cut the all over the sun and she gave, and she gave him a wrist meal. It's called the Tzor. It's like a flint head on, a, on an arrow. It's very, 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 very sharp. And that's what they used to give a wrist meal. Listen to this. So Dabra Melech knew this. So Dabra Melech made a deal. It's in the Medrash. Dabra Melech said the following. 
He looked at the giant and he looked at the helmet and he said to the helmet, you're made out of metal. I will make a deal with you. When I shoot this stone, if you metal open up and allow my stone to go through and kill this person who's made in front of God, from now on, from today on, a brismila will always be made with steel, with metal, no more stones. And the measure says, the metal opened up. The stone went through and killed Goliath. What's going on over here? Hakaras Hatov. The stone, who its mission over here was to kill this anti-Jew, anti-Hashem. But there was no way that this stone could do it. It would bounce off. So the Hakaras Hatov, that the metal of the man, that Donald was saying, as appreciation for letting me do my job and kill this Plishti, I will give you up my other job of doing Brismila. The Kachaya. The metal opened up, the stone went in, and the Plishti went down. What an unbelievable strength. This little Dabar Amelach, 17 years old, or maybe he was even younger, to take down, to take down a giant. What was his whole strength? His whole strength was that you can do anything. If you have a shed, you can do anything. Where did he get that from? He got that from a great grandmother who said, "My na- your nation is my nation. Nobody messes with our nation. Your God is my God. Nobody, nobody messes with our God. He got his strength from Rus. That's why he let me on Shavuos read Miguel Rus. Because the last day of Sphira is Malchus Shiva Malchus. David HaMelech represents Malchus Shiva Malchus. Mashiach represents Malchus Shiva Malchus. The only woman in the world called Aim HaMalchus was Rus. When Shlomo HaMelech got patched for waking up late, so it says it was Batsheva. Most Anthroshev said, no, Batsheva wasn't Aim HaMalchus. Rus lived all those years to see Shlomo Melech build Rezamehosh. She was the Em HaMalchus. What made her Em HaMalchus? She just held on a little bit longer than Arpa. Ladies and gentlemen, you just gotta hold on a little bit longer. We were in such a terrible gulf. There's so many tragedies and so many hard things and we're coming to a yuntiv where the whole yuntiv is based on just holding on and stepping in and not stepping out. And every person in this room can be a Malchus. If you bring up your children correctly, you could be the mother of Malchus. Everyone has that fire. You can be the father of Malchus. You can be a Boaz. You can call everyone Biti. You can understand that everyone is like your child. You can walk into a room and the first thing you say is, Hashem should be with you. As I told you last time, Hashem Imachem. That's what he spoke. His first word when he walked into a room was Hashem's name. Hashem Imachem. The first one that came out of his mouth was Hashem. Of course, the people that walked in the room said, Baruch Hashem. So you put two people together with a man, was all he said every time he walked into a woman, God should be with you, together with a woman who said, Your God's my God. It's all about God. And you put them together, and you have Mashiach. And that's what we need to put together. The word that comes out of our mouth has to be Hashem.
husbands and wives. We have to teach it to our children. Nobody messes with my God, said David Amalek. Our God is Hashem. And that is Malchus, Shiva Malchus. May everybody in this room have a choice. Will you reach that level? Will you reach the level of understanding that a piece of kugel could change the world? Will you reach a level where you understand that you may not have any lines on your hands for panasa? You may not have any lines on your hands for children. You may not have your lifeline on your hand might show a very young age that you're not going to be here anymore. Who cares? Who cares about these lines? They don't mean anything. Because I'm going to do something in my life that can make it hatema. I'm not going to answer someone back when I really want to let them have it. I know this guy stole from me. I'm, not, I'm just going to let it go. It's not a big deal. I'm going to go against my tema. I'm going to give money, even though I don't like to give money. I'm not going to get angry, even though my nature is to have a temper. I'm going to break my tema. So all the tema that are on these hands, all the things that are supposed to happen, are gone. Everybody has that kayak to break tema. We need to break Teva. Davening is not enough anymore. We are in, in, in naturally, I can tell you, if we go according to nature, we are done. 80% assimilation. 80% assimilation, and the ones that are not assimilating, half of them don't even believe in God. And half of them have no idea what Yiddish tag is all about. And the internet, and the filth, and the abuse, and the health problems, and the marriage problems, and the kid problems, and all this stuff brought together, if you would look at it from the outside, you'll like the Jewish nation has 20 years left before they're all gone. If they don't get nuked by them, sugar and I'm So, Kedera Hatema, we're done. So, we need to do more than three well. Hashem yelling at all of us, now, you should have to die, but you got to do more than die. you got to change the world. you got to change yourself. You have to step out. And if you do, if you do, we'll travel, we'll go through this yam, we'll go through this gulf, and we'll see Mashiach. Shavuos is the yantiv of Mashiach. My bracha to everyone here is that we should all have a kayak as a nation to break the teva, to take Hashem from the, from the throne of Din and Emes, because the truth is maybe we don't deserve Mashiach, but if we don't deserve Mashiach, mida kineg mida Hashem, we are going to break our teva. You should break your teva. And this should be with Samir Tasha. You should all see Dabba Hamalach and Mashiach. We marry me in name of thank you. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.